Well, good day, everybody. Thanks for joining us online at West Tonka, Bush Lake. Thanks for everybody being here. I hope you've just had a great summer. And I know you're excited about that transition that's still ahead. Just say yes. <laughs> We're excited about what's ahead. This past summer, um, Carrie and I got some time for rest and renewal. We had a family vacation time in Montana in the mountains, which we had never done as a family before. And we went whitewater rafting, which we had never done before. And the guide gave these instructions to everybody on the shoreline before we got into the water, and I just could hardly believe how he opened. He said, I just need to make it clear that in June, somebody died because they didn't know what to do when they fell in the water, and he was serious. That's just not how you motivate people. <laughs> That's not good advertising, generally speaking. We're going like, what? All of a sudden, we were chit-chatting with each other, and we're just like, what? We're going we're listen. We're totally attentive to what he has to say. And uh, we decided to get in the water, and sure enough, I brought some pictures. So take a look. This is the first launch of it. It was my children, adult children, and their spouses. And uh, it started out with calm and wonder for about like 30 minutes. It was like Apple River, quite honestly. <laughs> and it was so beautiful, the mountains around us on the Gallatin River. And I'm there um, behind my daughter. Um, and uh, it's the second one there. There will be a change of seats here in a moment, but we move from calm and wonder to rapids and rocks, and it got quite exciting, to say the least, as you look at the face of the guide who's even questioning, <laughs> what are we about to do here? And uh, it was intense and very fun as well, but then it moved to risk and rescue. And so this is the, the photo where, notice everybody's motion there. You can't see me anymore because my six-foot frame is three-quarters in the water. I'm barely holding on with my foot in the seat behind me. And then I'm totally, you can't even see me. I'm there. And my daughter, who's just behind me in her petite little five-foot-four frame, grabs her hand and pulls me out of the water like superhuman Wonder Woman. I go, I love my daughter. She just put me back into the boat. It was so much fun. We come through it, and we're still alive. So grateful <laughs> for all of it. You know, being in that little raft was such a great experience on a lot of fronts. Um, there was laughter and concern for each other. There was advocacy and teamwork. We were working together, rowing to try to avoid and get through these little dips and dives and drop-offs and all of that. And there was this cheering on of each other, like, we can do this, you know, almost a competition between us. It was just terrific. But I'm going to tell you, when it was all said and done, and we were still alive at the end of it, there was a bond of love that deepened for our family. We experienced an adventure together. And I think about that in our nuclear families. Isn't that part of our journey? In your family, in your history, and in your lifetime with your family, you go through these seasons of calm and wonder. You can hardly believe the goodness of God that's happening in your journey. And then you go through rapids and rocks where you're navigating pace and it's difficult to keep up with everything, but it can be really exciting and challenging at the same time. But then there's also those transparent moments where there's risk and rescue, where we come alongside and help each other. We protect our family. We step in and come alongside in those hard places. Now, the nuclear family is really important. But then I made a bridge and an understanding to what we share together here. Last Sunday was our kickoff Sunday, and, and Pastor Clint did, uh, did the message last week. Um, our campus pastors did them on their campuses as well. And the overriding theme really captured me that we are a church that is for God, like Jesus, in community. 
And it was the in community, an invitation at the beginning of the ministry season to say, be in the raft of this community and experience the goodness of God um, as we journey together in the adventure of life that we share in the community. And I'm so grateful for that to the end that all week long, I, because he kept going into in community, that we are family. We're God's family. We are a faith family. We are family. And Sister Sledge just really hit me in the head. <laughs> we are family. Da, da. Okay, I'll stop there. But you get, all week long, come get it out of my head. Think about it. We are brothers and sisters today and for all eternity. We are a faith family. You want to be in this raft. Good things happen. God things happen in this raft, in this adventure that he's given to us. And I'm so grateful that, that we have this opportunity to be in this given place. We're experiencing a ton of momentum right now, and we're grateful for that. New people coming over the last couple of years. We're seeing singles and families. We're seeing young adults and grandmas and grandpas. And we thought, you know, as we begin this ministry season, we should really level set some things about what it means to be in this raft. And so we're starting a series, just a short one, three weeks, called Offering. And it's not about your money at all. It's all about um, the offering of your internal reality with an outward expression through child dedication, baptism, and communion. These are experiences that deepen the bond of love that we have in the community. They're really important. And each one of them is an us kind of experience. And so we're going to give energy to that over these next few weeks. Today we're going to be looking at uh, the reality of child dedication, and it's an important one. Why do we practice child dedication the way we do on our, our campuses? And we understand that we come from different backgrounds. And so many of you have parents who dedicated you to the Lord by having you baptized as an infant. Just out of curiosity, raise your hands at all of our sites if you were baptized as an infant. I'd just like to see your hands. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's far more than 60, maybe 70% of you. That, that uh, is amazing. Well, I, I was baptized as an infant as well. I understand that dialect and even the church where I was baptized as an infant and what their, their practice was about. But at Westwood, we don't practice infant baptism. And I'll speak about why next week. And it's really fascinating to step into the history of the church and how do we have these different expressions but I want you to know our dialect. I want to invite you to be in this raft and understand what we do and why we do what we do because we follow the practice, the Jewish practice of child dedication. It's anchored in the roots. The early church practiced that. It was later that infant baptism would come into play. But I want you to understand child dedication as we practice it. So the way we dedicate children to God is really inspired by several biblical examples. You're very familiar with Hannah's story probably. Hannah who... Um, offered her son, dedicated her son to the Lord. And her story was a challenging one. She had prayed for a child for 19 years. And the scriptures tell us that she prayed and wept. Prayed and wept. And that might speak to some of you where you have had a long journey waiting on God to answer a prayer for a child in your own family. And you have prayed and wept. Carrie and I had that experience. It took us a long time before we would have children. We went through testing and all those things. We prayed and we wept. And I just want to say, in this raft, we're together. We're with you in this. So let us pray with you. Let us come alongside of you. It's part of the joy of being in community. It's part of the joy of being the family of faith. 
And we find that Hannah's story um, is beautiful and the description is good for us to be reminded of. I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked for. So now I give him to the Lord. Now look at this. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. So we don't practice child dedication and offer our kids to the Lord just in the moments of their birth and their infancy. No, we come back again and again and again and we offer our children to the Lord. And for all of you parents of adult children, don't you find yourself still offering your children to the Lord? Oh God, be with these kids. You know, Carrie and I have this phrase, we can pray for them. We may not be able to do a lot of other things. We can love them probably better than anybody. So we pray and we love and we offer. We pray, we love, and we offer our children. It's continuous action. But what he has for us. And it's not just what we find in Hannah's story. The uh, most familiar story is the story of Joseph and Mary. And they bring their infant um, son, Jesus, to the temple for dedication. It's in Luke's gospel. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And what a beautiful presentation it was. A mystery, to say the least, but he was 40 years of age, and that, or 40, day, 40 days old, and uh, 40 days was kind of the marker in the ancient practices of dedicating children to the Lord. But today, I'm not going to talk about Hannah's offering here or Mary and Joseph's. I want to talk about Abraham, because we find in Abraham that this isn't just a ceremonial expression in the community of faith and offering our children to the Lord. This is really a serious commitment. It creates an internal tension when we offer our children to the Lord. And we see that most specifically in the story of Abraham when he goes to Mount Moriah and does what God asks him to do to offer Isaac unto the Lord. And we find it in Genesis. It says, then God said, take your son, oh, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. And it creates a tension. This is one of the most difficult passages of Scripture to get your arm around. I just have a few moments, but I'm just telling you the, the tension that you have is intentional. We should feel attention when it comes to offering our Lord. But right away we go, I'm okay with the outcome because we know the outcome. We know that a ram will be sacrificed instead of Isaac, but we are uncomfortable with what God asks Abraham to do. How could God do this? Because that's what the pagan people do in the presence of their little gods. They, they offer their children as a sacrifice. Human sacrifices was common in this day, and God knows this, and he is getting their attention, a little bit like the guide who says to us on the, on the river before we get onto it, somebody died here, and all of a sudden, we stopped our little chit-chat, and we paid attention, and God is doing that. And in fact, something is happening here that is beyond what meets the eye, your first glance of it. And so I want to give energy to that, both in terms of Abraham and to God himself, just briefly, to set up the story of what it means when we do child dedication here. First of all, put yourself in Abraham's place, the son that whom he loves, and you go, why was he willing to do this? I'm going to tell you why. He was confident that there was something more to the story than meets the eye. And you see the confidence in the story itself. If you read the whole story, you'll see that they arrive at Mount Moriah. He's with the servant. He tells the servant to stay behind, and then verbatim, it says that he will return with his son that God will provide. So he knows God is up to something. I'm going up to Mount Moriah. I don't know how this is going to work out, but you can be sure I'm coming back with my son. 
So what is God up to? And then we know that he has confidence because of the promise. That God made a promise that through Abraham, there would be the birth of a nation, a great nation, more numerous than the stars in the sky and the sand in the seashore. And if Isaac is offered as a sacrifice, how does that promise come to fruition? So he has confidence in the promise of God. He's not sure how it's going to look, but God is up to something. What is God up to? His confidence is he's going to provide. And then you look in his story that there's a confidence that relates just to the practical nature of his age. Because when God provides Isaac to Abraham and Sarah, Sarah is 90 years of age when she has Isaac. And Abraham is 100 years of age. And I think about that. I'm in my 60s right now. And the thought of having another child, no way, no way, no way. God bless all of you. Um, Carrie's dad is 97. Three years younger than Abraham. The thought of him having another child? No way. I mean, it just really rattles me a little bit to think about how this works out. He just knows that, is God going to start over? No, God is up to something. I don't know what it is, but he's about to do something. And what does God do? What is he up to? Let me just give you a glimpse of what God is up to. First of all, we find that God is giving a test to Abraham, which, by the way, God does this in our lives, too. It's a test of trust. Will you trust me? Because there was a question of trust. If you recall the story, Abraham and Sarah knew that God made the promise they would have a child that would birth a great nation. But they were growing older. They'd been trying and trying and trying and trying to have a child, and no child comes. And they're weary, and they're thinking their hope is diminishing. So they step into it and say, well, we'll help God out on this. Have you ever done that? God, the expected timetable of when you want the answer is different than God's. And you go, well, God, we'll help you out on it. So they make a plan. And Sarah and Abraham do something. Man. Sarah says, Abraham, why don't you take my servant Hagar and you can sleep with her? And just the thought of that is just beyond my comprehension. They have sexual intimacy. They have a boy named Ishmael. But Ishmael is not the promised son. So it's a test, a test of trust. God is saying, come and do this. Can I trust you? And it's a test that Abraham and Sarah have to step into. That's part of the meta narrative of this. Can God trust you with what he gives to you in life. Do you trust him with it? And then you see the advance of God around the declaration that he is a life-giving God. He knows the common customs of the day that in the pagan cultures, they sacrificed, human sacrifice was part of it, child sacrifice was part of their offering to their little gods. And God has said, enough of that. This is a life-giving God because we think, God, why would you ask of this? Because he's elevating an important principle for us that this God is a life-giving God. He's sending a message to the other nations. This is not how it's going to go. We know how the story ends. A, a, a ram is sacrificed rather than Isaac because he wants us to know he is the giver of life. And he's using this dramatic scene to point it out to us. And then we know as well that God is giving a prophetic reenactment of something that is greater still before us. You could call this a hyperlink from this story in Mount Moriah all the way to Jesus coming. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whom he loved for you and me. No ram is going to take its place for that sacrifice. Jesus goes to that cross.
to cover our sins, that we might live in right relationship with him again. He goes to the cross. He doesn't stay dead because God is a life-giving God. He raises him from the dead so that we are raised up with that same hope. Paul um, draws from this as well in Romans. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? What do you need right now in your life? Can you trust God for it? That he will graciously provide for you beyond what you could ever provide for yourselves? That's what's happening in this storyline. And so much moved is Abraham by this that he gives a name to God at that Mount experience and he calls him Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh is the name of God that means God will provide. This is the test that he has for us. So we dedicate children at Westwood to affirm your desire to trust God with the gift of the child that's been given to you and a statement, a declaration as we experience already that, that we are with you in it, that we are in this raft and we are meant as the family of faith to be together, encouraging, laughing together, experiencing advocacy and teamwork together, cheering each other on in the journey and in so doing the bond of love is deepened in profound and mysterious ways. That's what he calls us to. So what I want to do in the remainder of our time is I want to take and uh, look at four expressions of Abraham and Sarah's um, dedication of the child because it's the root by which we do child dedication today. Are you up for that? I'm going to walk through it briefly, but it's important, each one of them. It begins with this. Dedicating your child to God is confirming your love for God. That when you dedicate your child to God, you're saying, oh God, I love this child and you even more. And your purposes even more than my own. And your way more than my own. It's just this dedication of my love for you, oh God, and the gift of this child. And I love to that given end. So we partner with God to raise our children, but we don't let our child take God's place. Do not let your children take God's place. Let your love be pure and holistic from it because this is what happens. We are wise, friends, when we center our life around God for the benefit of our children, but we are unwise when we center our life around our children for the benefit of ourselves or for other people because we will leave God out of that incredible equation and intention that he has for us. And we're at risk of this all the time, figuring out how we're going to uh, step into it and I think about the examples that we're at this crossroads am I really giving my love to God first here or to my child first it's 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 got some tension with it I think about a time um, and I've shared this story before but it's one of the most poignant you know crossroads sections with our own family our son played basketball and when he was 14 he was on a traveling league it was a good team and the expectation is you show up for practices, which is the case for every team. And it was Monday, Thursday, Holy Week. And I said, just remind the coach that you'll have Monday, Thursday service. You'll miss practice. He did. And the coach said, no, you'll not miss practice. Or if you miss practice, you will not play. And he came home and I go, oh, okay. Well, that kind of surprised me a little bit. And this is some time ago, but it ends up being an inflection point, I think, in changing culture a little in our, in our own journey. But he comes home and tells me the story, so I advocate for him. I call the coach myself, and I say, did you really say this to him? 
And he goes, yeah, I did. And then he said, and I'm not exaggerating one word of this, he said, basketball is my God. And it just crushed me. And it was this aha moment that we all give our affections to different things. And sometimes it's not to God first. And I think it's fair. He misses practice. He misses a game. That's fine. That's part of the rules. That makes sense to me. And yet the other side of it, it felt like punishment because we had a different God. And we are just reminded, we're at this crossroads. We have to make decisions and advocate. Abraham was demonstrating that his love for God was a supreme love um, above all else in his life. And Jesus reinforces it, by the way, when he says in Matthew's gospel, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He's not saying don't love your son or daughter, your mother or your father. He's just saying let the priority of love come to God first. So he's confirming that our love, our center of our lives will be for him and our love for him, knowing that it will help our children love him as well. The second expression is dedicating your child to God is clarifying your trust in God's ownership. And we think of ownership as possessing something, but ownership also means belonging to someone so that all that I am and all that I have is his. That it comes from God, it belongs to God, it's gonna be returned to God. And that priority of my life makes all the decisions easier to make in our own personal journey. And I hope that's the case for you as well. That we are given this call to clarify that God is the one whom our child belongs. And so we dedicate our children to the Lord and say, oh Lord, we know this child is a gift from you, but he or she belongs to you. And that is reinforced as well in the psalmist's words. Don't you see that children are God's best gift, the fruit of the womb is his generous legacy. So we receive the gift from the Lord of a child and we understand it is his gift to us, but the child belongs. And so we steward that belonging of that child to God's purposes all the way, clarifying that truth, a gift, and that it belongs to him. And the third expression is dedicating your child to God is committing to raise your child in God's way, and this is where we get challenged the most because we have our opinions about how we want to raise the child, but I want to elevate something here, a phrase that we've used here from the very beginning, that our homes are the center for spiritual growth, that we as the church will come alongside of you, we'll encourage you, we'll resource you, we'll help you, but the home is the center for spiritual growth. And there's a call out here specifically to men, I want to give you from Ephesians, where it says, fathers, don't frustrate your children with no-win scenarios. So dads, have you ever frustrated your child with a no-win scenario? And certainly you have in one way or another. Now, the call is from mothers, too, in this arena. But there's an elevated call, let your home be a marker for the center of spiritual growth. You'll take a lead in that in your home. Otherwise, we're at this risk of no-win situations. Like, this is a no-win situation, when you act a certain way in your home with your family and your kids, but you act another way outside of your home. That frustrates your kids. Some um, translations say don't exasperate your child, don't provoke them to anger. Or when you promise to do something and you don't do that, they remember it. (laughs) And they'll remind you of it, in fact, right? That could exasperate your child. Or when you dish out a crushing discipline for a minor offense oh it can make them angry 
and they can pull them away from the Lord. No, this is our call. Take them by the hand. It's very active here. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. So it's a call for us. Don't be casual in the understanding of your child to have a relationship with God's love. Don't have the mindset, oh, they'll figure out as they grow older along the way, and you take a passive role. No, take them by the hand and show them how much God loves them that they may in turn love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the invitation. That's what Joshua told the children when they went into the promised land. He's reinforcing this message. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. It's the beginning of their new family in in the promised land. Throw away, boy, that's a, a powerful verb there. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. He's just putting a stake in the ground saying, choose this day who you will serve. And he continues, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. And look at the call he has. As for, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He's just saying to us, do not be wishy-washy about the most important expression of love in your home, that your children would know God's love and that they would in turn love him in return. If you've got shame around that in your own personal journey, just confess that to the Lord. Start loving your kids in a way that they would see that love in you. It's a call for us. And if God seems undesirable to you, make a choice then. Go give your affection to other things in your life. Make gods out of other things in your life, other people in your life. Serve them. But if your heart is desiring God, then don't be wishy-washy. Just put a stake in the ground. As for me and my household, I will serve the Lord. Amen? Is that clarifying for you in that journey? Okay, there's a fourth expression. Yeah, I love that. Hey, well, let's give it up for the Lord's call for us to be clear. Let's not be wishy-washy. Dedicating your child to God is cultivating God's purpose and promise for them. And I wrap up with this, that God had a promise for Abraham and a purpose for Isaac. He has a promise for you and a unique purpose for your children. Cultivate that in your children. I'll wrap it up with this verse and then one more thing before we go. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashores. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, look at this, all nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. We're here because that offering so long ago by Abraham. And we're blessed, the word there meaning we get to know the presence of God in your life. Are you glad that you can know the presence of God in your life versus not? I am. I want God's presence and I want my kids to know God's presence in my life. And so this is what we call ourselves to. We offer our children to this end that we are confirming a love uh, for them, but even more so for God is the priority. Um, that we are clarifying a trust in God that these children are a gift to us and our community, but they belong to God. And we are committing ourselves to raise the child to be in love like Jesus. And we are cultivating a desire for them 
to learn God's purposes for their journey and not just ours as parents. Do you see the depth of child dedication and why it's important? We have a phrase at Westwood we've been using uh, related to our kids that we believe the faith of the next generation is worth everything. Would you say that with me? We believe the faith of the next generation is worth everything. We're going to pass that baton. We're going to come alongside of you, but we invite you to do the same. So what I'd like to do is wrap up for a few minutes here with an interview with one of our children's staff around how we come alongside of you. And Amy Dworak, who is the director of our kids' ministry, first grade through fifth grade, is an amazing servant. And I just want you to hear from her. So would you say thank you, Amy, for coming and share. Give it up for Amy. Thank you for doing this. Um, just love having you here yeah. on the staff, but you've been here a long time. I've known you a long time. How yes. long have I known you? Uh, since 1995, so yeah. since I was seven, seven, ten, yeah. Yeah, which makes me the old yeah. guy here. I, I've watched <laughs> you grow up, and I'm so glad you're here. Let's sit down for a yeah, moment yeah. because I want us to have a conversation together about your journey growing up at Westwood, very cool, yes. as well as then joining our staff along the way. But give us a little bit about your own personal story. Yeah, so good morning, Westwood. Thank you for having me. I am Amy Dvorak, and I have the privilege of being the elementary director here at Westwood. Um, a little bit about myself. I'm married to my husband, Paul. In fact, Pastor Joel, you officiated our wedding 12 years ago today. It's her anniversary today. <laughs> Isn't that great? She's giving up her time. Thank you for doing that today. Um, this, this wedding was really memorable. You have to look real closely, but above my head, there is an eagle that flew over us right when they were sharing their vows with each other. It was amazing. So we just, you know, package eagles for all of our weddings. <laughs> right. Tell us a little bit more of your story. So, yeah. So since then, uh, Paul and I had spent many years um, praying and praying and praying. And like Hannah in the book of 1 Samuel, God um, eventually blessed us with three beautiful children, Sadie, Nell, and Cody, uh, ages eight, six, and four. But before all that, I started attending Westwood back in 1995 when it was in the um, Chanhassen Dinner Theater. And it was there where I joined uh, kids ministry and it was downstairs in the basement tunnels. And having your classroom in the tunnels as a kid was a lot of fun. Um, Coolest place to do church, the Chan <laughs> Dinner Theater, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and it was in those tunnels that the volunteers poured into me and taught me about God, uh, read me the Bible stories, and taught me how to pray. And I can confidently say that my foundation of faith was laid in those tunnels. And as I continued to grow with Westwood, I uh, joined student ministry that met Wednesdays and Sundays. Again, I had wonderful volunteers pouring into me, constantly checking in on me. Um, I had a really special volunteer uh, during the time of my years in high school, and I was going through a rough, rough time. The volunteer took her time, called me, checked in with me, chatted with my parents, would meet with me outside of church, and Westwood became my community, my extension of my family, and a place where I felt seen and loved. Yeah, and I think that is the message we want to say, is we love your kids. We want to know their names. We want to know their stories. When they hit the rocks and the rapids, we want to help you navigate that. And what a cool story that is. Then, then look at the fruit of that. And now you're on the staff. So we say homes are the center for spiritual growth. How do we come alongside of our 
homes and resource parents to say, we're here with you. Right. So just like Pastor Joel said, we believe family is the most important uh, place for a child in their faith journey. journey. Um, we have provided three resources for families. Um, our first one is a weekly text messaging. We will text you a scripture, a question you can ask your child, and an activity that you can do with them. Our second one is the Parent Q app. I love it. It's free. Download it on your phone. It's a great resource to check out uh, with your family. And third, we have our parenting conference, which is uh, going to take place October 30th. Yeah. Last week was kickoff Sunday for us at all of our sites at Bush Lake and at West Tonka and here. We had over 500 kids here and another hundreds of them at the other sites. I mean, it's a lot of kids. And how does the church come alongside of helping with faith here? And what are our needs and opportunities right sure, now? Sure, sure. So um, we have wonderful volunteers here and at our other campuses. Um, I could not thank them enough or give them enough credit for what they do every Sunday. But we need help. Um, like you said, we had over 500 kids at kickoff. Uh, there's a place for everyone downstairs from birth all the way to fifth grade. We also just recently opened up our special families room. This is a place for families who may have children with special needs. <clears throat> so we are always looking for help in there as well. And we just really, really encourage you. They'll put a QR code up to scan the QR code. Yeah. We'll get in touch with you and just help us invest in the next generation of faith followers. I love it. And we have Carol Peterson over at West Tonka who's giving leadership. We're just hiring a new staff member at Bush Lake as well to give um, leadership and guidance and you and others that are serving here in the Chan Asin campus. But man, we wanna be there. We're experiencing some growth. I wanna invite you in. Can I give a shout out to men? Show up. Be with uh, the many women who serve faithfully, and let's just see men make a difference in our community of faith and reach out and make yourself known. When is the next child dedication? Yeah, so our next child dedication is actually October 15th. It's a super easy process. Just head to our website, fill out the application, attend the orientation, and then after that, you are all set for dedication. Yeah, on behalf of the team, I want to say thank you to all of you who already serve our kids and our students in ministry. You make a difference. And boy, to see your kids come to this kind of fruitful maturity is a beautiful thing. And thank you, Amy, for your leadership. Would you join me in so doing? And uh, giving thanks to Amy. And Steph and I are going to offer a prayer. Just offer a prayer for our, our kids and for our team here. Father God, thank you for the gift of life. You're the life-giving God. You're always giving life. And we get to be the instruments of that life. And Father, we are so grateful for the gift of Christ in us that can be shared with kids and students of all kinds of ages. Raise us up as a church where we're just marked because of how we invest into kids. Move people today to that end. Thank you for the team who already served, for Amy and the staff, their leadership. May you bring favor upon every family here. May your goodness just overflow again and again as we make our homes the center of spiritual growth. As for me and my household with Joshua, we say we will serve the Lord to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Good.